Hi, hello, and howdy, and welcome to Home Age Conversations, a podcast about the residents. Today, your hosting huddled masses consist of me, Mole, a clown philosopher. I am Rabbit. I don't really know much about myself. I am Cap. I am a gossip who teases the dead. And I'm Mewie. I teach cursed stones how to think. So today we're talking about Eskimo, right? Yes. Yes. As far as I'm aware. Uh, and Eskimo was put out in 1979, uh, despite like all the forces of the world seemingly trying to prevent it from ever appearing. God said no, please. God tried to prevent the residents from from obtaining the terrible amounts of power they were destined to accrue and have yeah. accrued. Uh, Rabbit, do you want to kind of, I don't know, tell us, tell us about this, please? Yeah, I'm going to try to explain it in the simplest way I can because I have a weird way of wording things. So Eskimo is technically world music, you know, only sort of because of the fact that, well, it's based around the Inuits, which were real people. I may have said that wrong. No, I think you got it. Okay, good. It's based around Inuit tribe in the Arctic, but they have some, well, very interesting practices, and they have a way different language, which is made up by commercial slogans and jingles, which is basically it. Yeah, um, and I think what that has to do with is that it's a pop perception of these northern indigenous cultures, um, mm. because... The residents were not, I don't think they were exactly trying to depict how they viewed these cultures, but more how, like, I guess American culture or commercial culture uh, looked at these things. Um, so I guess that just about covers the basic concept. So I guess we can move on to the origins. Miwi, want to take it from here? Um, so the residents started off making Eskimo because they wanted to sort of start making world music before world music really became a thing. And they kind of settled on the Arctic because they thought, hey, this isn't a culture that's been exploited heavily yet. Let's let's kick off that process right quick. (laughs) Yeah, it it was never really paid attention to because they they forgot the Arctic existed. I I mean, too much ice. If it's ice, the residents can't see it. Um, I mean, I've heard that's one one of the origins of it, but um, there's also the fact that some Bavarian dude named Ensenada, who sort of hung around in his trench coat with a saxophone and whatnot, um, sent them, <laughs> you know, usual stuff. Uh, sent them fedora, always. Yeah, this is how everyone in the 70s was, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, except he, he had a very thick accent. Or maybe oh, yeah. he didn't. Um, well, but he so apparently sent them, like, a jar of Arctic air, or uh, some say it was Inuit field recordings, and he sent those to the residents, and it just hit them like a ton of tar. <laughs> like, this is what they're going to do um, as the subject of their world music endeavors. Um, and Ensenada's kind of a 
an interesting figure, to say the least. So, Ensenada, he did a lot of stuff, but if you're familiar with the, turn of phrase, the theory of obscurity, that's him. Um, and the theory of obscurity stated that artists do their purest and best work in obscurity, but his lesser-known theory was the theory of phonetic organization, which apparently has a lot more to do with this album um, than the theory of obscurity does. And the, the theory of phonetic organization states that music should be built up from the sounds first and foremost, and then music comes in being built upon it, instead of um, having the music as a bass and adding the sounds afterwards. And I think that's probably the origin of the made-up language that the residents use for the Inuit tribe in the in the album. Uh, yeah, because sounds. Yeah, and organizing the sound of the speech based on how it sounds rather than meaning. And you can hear this in a lot of like earlier resonance work, especially where the lyrics themselves don't really have any inherent meaning. They're just sort of there for sound. But you can especially hear it in Eskimo. Yeah, they they don't really make much sense. Like there's like especially duck stab and stuff like that and fingerprints as well. So there's just a lot of gibberish in Eskimos basically the whole album made out of that. Yeah. So that's a little bit about Ensenada, but his whole <laughs> his whole deal with the residence is kind of a lot to get into, so um we're going to steer away from that. For the time being at least. Yeah, back into yeah. another avenue of potential inspiration for this album, which was that um, they were looking for some kind of culture to pay attention to, and the thing that brought them to the Arctic, well, thematically at least, because uh, they were still definitely in San Francisco, was seeing a Coca-Cola ad with Santa on it. Yeah, they saw a Coca-Cola ad with Santa on it, and that's when they remembered the Arctic. There, It was a brilliant moment of revelation, I guess, to see Santa, uh, you know enjoying the his favorite taste of the holidays or whatever. So, I guess, yeah, there's just a bunch of stories about how this album came to exist. Who are we to say what's the truth here? My personal favorite is the Coca-Cola one, if only because I, too, am inspired to do almost everything I do, buy or for an ice-cold Coca-Cola. You and that brown drink. I love Coke. Well, Coca-Cola, specifically. My favorite story is the one with, uh... And Sonata sending them a jar of air. Yeah, I like to imagine that it was still cold when they opened it. Exactly. Like, I, I imagine them opening this, like, corked bottle, and the cold air just rushes out and envelops <laughs> them all. It, like, yeah. freezes the inside of their studio, and they're slipping around. Get all scared. It's like, you got, like, Snake, he gets the, the mail for them, and he brings it in. And he opens it, and, like, he just gets blasted in the face, and there's, like, frost on his face, and that's what... <laughs> So we stopped working with the residents for like a year until the commercial level. It's very like Vonnegut-esque. Like, um, Ensenada just sends them a little vial of Ice-9 and it freezes all of San Francisco. And so they make a soundtrack to it. Is it time to address the elephant in the room? What elephant? What room? This hypothetical room we're all sitting in? Yes. The eyeballs. Oh, man. Uh, yes. Oh, man. Oh, those. Those fellas. Those sweet uh... little guys. They're cute. Yeah, they are absolutely I, adorable. I the wee balls. Me, we, you love the eyeballs. Here, I'm, I'm handing this off to you. All right. So, back, back in the, the day, the residents for every album basically, um, 
as they're known as the residents anyway, they wanted to have a new disguise, a new costume, so they were always changing. And for Eskimo, they decided first on these giant silver globes. Um, kind of like Christmas ornaments. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really weird and abstract. Like, they were very fever dreamish, almost. Yeah, because if you looked at one, you'd probably be thinking, like, what the hell is that? Is that me? Exactly. Uh, they they were a lot more abstract than the eyeballs, but they were not practical at all. <laughs> not practical to the point that they couldn't even get made. Exactly. Yeah, because they were calling around, and, they, and they, um, the people, every one of the people who they were in works with them, they said, like, you can't make these. You can't br- you can't breathe in these. Uh, you can't see. You can't hear. There's no way to s- see in or out. It's just kind of like a nightmare. It's just a little bit. I personally, I'm a big fan of seeing and breathing. The silver globes, they definitely weren't working. Um, so I think they kind of tossed ideas around for a little bit, and then eventually they landed on the eyeballs. Right? Yes. Because yes. um, I remember in that whole process of like trying to figure out what are we gonna do, one of them just drew out eyeball with a with a top hat on, and, and that was it. Like that was it right then and there. But I don't think it was actually for the album cover because that was for their hit T-shirt. Like they had this like a photo of I guess someone, not necessarily a resident. Who's to say? Um, wearing the eyeball uh, with the tuxedo and whatnot, and that t-shirt is still... That's, like, probably their number one selling item. Um, and then then they took the a photo... Yeah, a photo with all four of the residents in the tuxedos and all those costumes standing in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and as far as I know, what they did was then kind of cut and pasted uh, assorted elements from those photos to create the album artwork. The question then becomes, you know. What does the question become? You know, we all know the question that must be asked here, people, is is despite how much we love them, what did did the eyeballs are they are they you know, they good or bad? Oh, it, it, it all it depends on point of view because like from our point of view like it's they're good because we can you know like let's say we want to like represent the residents or something instead of having one of a million things to choose from we have their icon they're sellable they're they're, they're very marketable yeah, they, they, they look move cute. t-shirts it's not some gross old man i ask only because you know the whole theory of obscurity you want to the whole anonymity of it all you don't want to tamper with that and, and they and they barely skimmed under it. I mean, like it made them famous, but they didn't really reveal anything. Not yeah. to mention how cumbersome they could become. Oh yeah, I think the cryptic corporation was definitely grateful um, for that being something they could sell and something that did well commercially. You know, something that people could point out and say, "That right there, that's the residence." That's the residence. Yeah. In, the- in theory of obscurity, they actually mentioned that Cryptic was kind of pushing to have that as the icon too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it sells. Um, but here I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out my clown philosopher card and propose another question. Another question that we have to ask, and it's, what's the cover art mean saying? Like, what does it mean? Uh, 
Sometimes you gotta chill with the boys. <laughs> Cracking open a cold one in the Arctic with the boys. <laughs> it's a cold one, because they're in the Arctic. Mm, trying to crack open a frozen cold one. I'm going to I'm going to put out a little proposition here as for my theory of uh what the cover art's saying about the album. Um what I think is that the eyeballs and the mirrored globes are both reflections. And this is where I think the residents really start using reflection, you know, as a major theme in their works. And this is even reflected, haha, no pun intended, in the title, you know, Eskimo. Because within the liner notes, they acknowledge the fact that these people are it's like Inuit cultures. But what they're reflecting, I think, is American perception of outside cultures. Mm. So, you know, there's America and then there's the other. And so that's why you have all these commercial slogans and stuff mixed up in there. Because from the perspective of commercial culture, that falls into everything else. Because they're projecting their own ideas onto sort of this faceless beyond of the Arctic. You know, it's a foreign culture. We don't know what's going on over there, but I think they have similar opinions about Charmin... Charmin... It's a toilet paper. Charmin um, Ultralight? Uh, I guess. Um, I don't know that... with the pooping bears. So yeah, I guess oh, it's God. about projection and reflection there, and pooping bears. I think in addition to, to just the eyeballs, the, the, the tuxedo and the top hat and their little canes, I think that also, in, in the context of this album cover, it helps add a little bit of like aloofness to the, the resonance characters. That gives them, yeah. it, it gives it this extra like, oh, we're observing this culture, this other culture that's alien and weird and not. Not us, not us sophisticated tuxedo-wearing mm-hmm. eyeball guys. They're mocking, you know, um, Western culture, looking at whatever it deems to be the other. And so, just as much as you look at the album cover, it looks back at you. Mm. Uh, which which I think is, is very effective. It's also just a really cool image. Looks yeah. really wow. nice. <laughs> That's a side point. We've got our little eyeball boys. Precious. They're cute. They're adorable. They're so sweet. You just want to cuddle them. Needful eyes. Yes. But um, right. I propose we make that uh, they make eyeball top hat plushes. But um, yes, uh, please. Right. <laughs> you hear us down here, cryptic. You listen to our demands. I will buy twenty. I would. I would buy every single one of them that they have made. Okay. So, yeah, I think we just about covered. Everything there is that isn't. I have a little little mm-hmm. bit of a interpretation I'd like to lay down. Oh, hell yeah, brother! It, it should, hell yeah, brother! <laughs> I I guess in the easy, because it's hard to explain exactly what I mean when I say this, but it's like with them being you know eyes, it's like you're now resting your eyes on like the whole culture around them, and that culture is looking right back at you, needfully because it's been trying to get your attention for a long time. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it's like the content of the album is so absurd and far from anything that could be the truth that it's calling upon the viewer, the listener, to actually take a deeper look and figure out, this, like, 
Yeah, to to negate the space in between um, the information the residents present, information in, like, 30 rows of quotes, um, and the reality. So, So as not to spoil the rest of the episode, um, should we move on to the content of the album? Why not? So here we have we have the first track, the first track, the Walrus Hunt. So musically, what a good intro, right? This this track is like so iconic for like mm-hmm. represent like when I think Eskimo, I think of that like what is it like six notes? Do, do, do. Yeah, that. I really like it. It's become iconic not only in you know Eskimo itself. It's it's spooky, but. Also in the mildly, somewhat successful single that was spawned from it, which was Discomo. Because that, that's like the first little thing you hear besides the really rapid beat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got kind of a, a jingle vibe to it. Um, and the way the wind kind of like fades it in. Um, yeah, it's it's really, wind, huh? yeah, it's really cinematic. Oh, and the the I think it it really reinforces that whole thing that I've I've read here and there. I don't know how true it is, but it says that the residents a lot of their early work was soundtracks to the movies they couldn't afford to make. Stop. Uh, yeah, you like like whatever happened to Violence Fats and whatnot. Yeah, so I I think that comes out really strongly in there, uh, and it, it it builds musically too. You could also say that this technically was a soundtrack to something that they wanted to make, the opera that they wanted to do, but they dropped in, in, in favor of the Mole Show. Yeah. Not that it was a bad thing. I mean, the Mole Show's great. Yeah. Well, it did have its, its trials and tribulations, naturally. All I'm grateful for it. All, well, the Mole Show, I, I think, was spectacularly uh, rife with, uh, how should I put this, misfortune, misadventure? Yeah. Definitely, it was it was a loss of like everything they had at the time, but that that, that yeah that, that, that's getting a bit off. That's for another another episode. I also like how in in this in the walrus hunt that it, they just hit you right in the face, straight out the gate with the phonetic organization stuff, mm-hmm. the chanting. God, there's so much debate to be had about what they're actually saying. My my beloved girlfriend, she is not a, a res head, as the term goes. So I was visiting her this weekend, and obviously, uh, to gear up for this, I, I listened to Eskimo a few times. I was listening to the open track, and she's like, what the hell is this? So I'm like, oh, it's, uh, she's like, I don't mean it's bad, it's just, I don't know what they're saying. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't think anybody does. I don't think they do. I think they know, but we don't get to find out. They probably know, but they forgot. Because it's been so long, like almost... Like immediately afterwards, probably, I would imagine, half the time. Yeah, they yeah. just learn how to say it, and then um, then they forget it. Yeah, I like to think a lot of it's just like one-off, just making noises, and then just out with that. Going with it. 
Yeah. So it's always interesting hearing from her perspective because she was like, it's not like it's bad. It's just what's going on. Like, yeah, well, welcome. Welcome to the show. I, I have a similar story to that uh, as that in when we get to one of the later tracks. Oh, boy, I'm excited to find out which. Uh, so I think we pretty much covered the sto- like the lyrics and music there. Um, so I guess it's probably time to move on to the stories. I love the stories. I love stories. Yeah, I think the stories um, would probably cat. It would probably remedy a lot of your girlfriend's concerns, queries. They probably would. I like how the uh, the the stories talk about like the whiteout because that is totally what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I really like that they fit the whole like theme of just like everything is white with the first vinyl pressing too because it's really really clean white yeah it's really nice that's white as driven stone if you will the art direction of the of the album cover matches the descriptions and also just the the music in this album the tone. really well it's very like white and and just like white dark. and really yeah really contrasting in this it's, it's, it's very crisp. monochromatic almost it's got it's got that really really faint blue hint to it too. yes it looks like winter or cold, you know, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, and it sounds like winter and cold. Yeah, some of the um, some pressings they make them a little more like black and white, and then if you got a picture disc, then it's probably yellow and black. But uh, that's besides the point. That's a rant for another day. <laughs> um, yeah. So the way they're the stories are being told in the liner notes is just so fascinating to me because it's it's not condescending. Almost as if it's, like, written by... It's almost like an academic paper, kind of. Like, you're reading it from a textbook of some sort. Yeah, but, like, a wacky textbook from somebody who's already published a bunch of things. Like, this is somebody with tenure. Or even just, and this, you know, speaking from my perspective as a historian, I suppose you could call me that... Gossip. A gossip. You you see all these historians, and especially earlier historians. I, I feel like we've come a long way, but, you know, you, you view these cultures with a kind of xenophobia, or you're, like, unwilling to see their perspective and unwilling to see them as, like, you know, people on your own caliber because you think you're so above them because you in your culture does this that and the other thing you know because you've got like a top hat and a tuxedo because you're you've got an eyeball for a head what are these stupid people doing still though at that same time period you also had a lot of uh victorians british typically going into places like egypt and uh, carving their names and number, the you know, year numbers into the sides of pyramids and tombs and stuff. And I think about this every single time I go to the Met. It's like, well, I'm glad I get to to see this, and I'm glad I get to uh, experience this culture. I guess in my own backyard, so to speak. But what is the morality of this? The fact that these people thought they were entitled to go in and make these judgments and take these things from their yeah place of origin and i the way the the stories are written it's got kind of a mysticism to it like oh how what are they doing oh that's fantastic oh it's so strange it's in the same kind of tone that like 
the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet would use. Yes, when, exactly. Yeah, for their narrator. Um, and that, like, dehumanization without mm-hmm. outwardly calling it bad. It's that they're not taking it from a perspective of these are people. Um, this is just a strange creature of sorts. This is just an animal. Yeah. It is savage. I like that the walrus hunt story opens up kind of like an instruction manual for Inuits. Like, you know, it says, like, you know, walrus hunting and kayaks among the floating ice must sometime proceed in the winter darkness or in a condition known as whiteout. That that sort of thing. It's like it's like telling you, yeah, yeah, it, it's telling you, like, this is when this happens. It's It's familiarizing you as an outsider with how to navigate this world. Like, that's how deep they're taking you in this. The residents are taking you to the point where they want you to know how to navigate a whiteout. Yeah, it, it's also written in a fashion where it's like both you know an outsider could read it and understand what's going on but an inuit all the same could read it and be like oh yeah i'm gonna go hunt some walrus now that sort of thing again it's uh, like i said it's written very textbook-esque like a like a this is the information i have discovered feast your eyes upon it and learn my children but but there is a sort of there still is a definite story-like quality to them all there's way more details in these stories than like what your textbooks would say so it still paints a vivid image in your mind along with the music which i think is a interesting balance of how they do that you know i i um i'm thinking now like the residents they should write out like kind of like history books for all these different like um cultures and stuff they've created like you know like the moles and chubs and stuff Mm. yeah i think that's be kind of cool like a collection of them or something yeah. So, are we ready to move on to birth? Uh, birth. Just oh, one, boy. one thing I would want to say about the walrus hunt is I like how they started off with probably one of the most, like, normal, believable-ish stories compared yeah, they to like, trick everything you. else in this album. <laughs> gets progressively crazier. I think a good example of that mean trick that they do... Uh, to anybody with ears is the next track, Birth. Oh, mm. man. Oh, man. Uh, I'll just say this. You know, it goes from, oh, yeah, they hunt walrus to, you know, what it's about to turn into, so. Uh, so musically, I really like the start of Birth. That, um, that chanting that they have at the beginning is really, really nice, and that's where they bring in, I think, some instrumentation, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh-huh. Um. I remember I all I know is that this um, this album, especially Birth, it makes me kind of want to like listen to it on like my phone or something, like put earbuds and just wander out in the snow. Yeah, Try yeah. Not to die, you mean? I mean, I mean, I the first when I you know we we planned this episode what like a while back, and we actually had our first snowfall here, and I was like, this is the time, it's the time to revisit it, and I did, and it was fitting, and it felt right, and I almost went for a walk, and then decided uh. I don't want to freeze, and I'd rather lie in bed and listen to it instead. When we uh, decided it was Eskimo, it was actually the first time snow had landed here, so... A divine yeah, blessing from the god of winter, Mr. Snowmeister, I'd say. Yeah, I don't get snow, so I just turned up my air conditioning and listened People to from it. Arizona don't count. I, I did listen to it with a blanket, so... You have, like, tan snow all over the place, don't worry. And it never melts. I think, so, musically... 
one thing about in between these tracks is like that wind. They don't just use it to introduce the album, um, but they use it to switch between tracks. That is so interesting. It's like turning the page mm. of a storybook. It, it makes it all connected because it's like, you know, it's kind of hard to make the whole same chant go on and on. But if you just take the atmosphere of like what exactly you're in and continue it into the next thing that also happens in that atmosphere, it's like, yeah, it fits. Listening to the album on vinyl, at least, because if you're listening to it uh, like digitally or on CD, there's usually a little tiny gap. But on the vinyl, the songs flow together so well because they mm-hmm. end with the wind and start with the wind. So yeah. you almost don't notice the next song is starting besides the fact that there's that wind. Yeah, they use key change. Um, really, that's the only way you can tell. Because uh, I know this one, after the walrus hunt, you know, you get that drumming. Um, and it's a totally different mood, even though it's just the sound of some light chanting and some drums. Yeah, that it's It does so much for so little. Pleasantly minimalist. Uh, it's... It's like you're turning around in a whiteout, and then you take a couple steps forward, and then suddenly you're seeing a scene, and then you take a couple steps back, turn, like, two steps to the left, take five steps forward, and it's a totally different story happening over there. That That's a really good metaphor. Yeah, and, that, and that's where birth is happening, but um, before we get into that... Um... The way the way you were wording that at first, like I thought it was gonna be like like oh yeah, then there was sound behind me and I turned around and there was the infamous Eskimo band. That sort of thing. Playing me sweet sounds of music. <laughs> they were they were um, playing slow drum things and The chanting. hills were alive with the sound of The glaciers were alive with the sound of birth. Oh, have mercy. Uh, so I mean <laughs> I the first that. half of this song the first half of the song is is really Something you can play around family and friends. And then and then you start hearing the baby. Yeah. Well, before that, there's that, like, deep... That deep chanting from... Oh, uh, let's see. Yeah, there's the deep chanting, I guess, from the people outside of the, of the igloo. And then it's just, like, pained sounds. Just basically once, once the birth starts happening and it becomes a an event that people are chanting while the birth is happening it starts getting much weirder yeah what what really freaked me out was like the first time i listened to it is i thought there was some kind of sacrifice happening too because it's like you know you (laughs) hear this person like freaking out and you hear all this chanting and then a baby being born and it's just like jesus christ yeah i mean in the the story makes that weirdly make a lot of sense because it's Mentioning how um, under certain conditions there's sacrifices at birth for yeah. to meet social needs, and I'm like, okay, sure, right, that's totally what happens. But it really captures the drama, like between the story and the music. You really get caught up in it. It's like, oh my god. Well, now knowing that there might be a sacrifice, I am leaning all the way in. Yes. And on that note. It's like, uh, again, along the lines of we're talking the perspective of colonialists and, and outsiders and on, on cultures that they don't or understand and don't seek to actually understand. Um, you know, we're all familiar with the Aztecs. I 
think we're Mostly, all familiar with the S. Yes, um, they're dead though. Yeah, they well, yes, no. they, yes, no, sort of, sort of, much like any native population, they have been uh, not treated well by the years. In any case, you know, we all have this, or for the most part, Westerners, so to speak, I guess, have this belief that this, like, whole ritualistic sacrifice was so widespread, but uh, history, historians and history has discovered that it's much less likely that any of that was taking place, and more likely than not, it was this, like, you know, the Spanish conquistadors being, like, you know, trying to disenfranchise the, the, the native population so they could better have excuse to divide and conquer and get rid of that religion well that was kind of a side i don't think that necessarily was on purpose the rest of it was though it was kind of i mean like they gave them blankets but um Hmm. i i don't think by giving them blankets they were actively thinking let's spread disease i don't think they knew how filthy they were i might be thinking of another one of the settler uh you know people but they they were the ones that like you know, took the blankets from the infected people and they gave them to the... Oh, uh, that I'm not entirely familiar with, but I I, I do... It might have been another one, actually, now that I think about it. Human sacrifice was much less of an actual thing, but now there's this common widespread belief that Aztecs were just, you know, going around ripping hearts out of chest a la Indiana (laughs) Jones. Um, Kalima! Like, if your culture never had big, roughly collars, they are savages, and they are most definitely sacrificing children for fun or for the gods. And that is fact. And therefore, we need to convert them all to Catholicism, and if they don't, they're witches, and we've got to just demolish them. What's so wrong about being a witch, anyway? (laughs) You would not know. What I like about the stories, though, here, is that the residents, instead of taking it in this, in this very, um, kind of, it, like, further down the line of the line of thinking they're taking, instead of going there, they depict it as everything that occurs in these stories and in these cultures as being kind of magical in a very basic human way. Because uh-huh. while they could very easily make birth about you know, the tragic sacrifice of a child. In- instead, it's it's about sort of the mystery of it. Um, You're like, isn't this amazing? Can you imagine? Can you believe this? Yeah, like, can you imagine what it would be like to be anybody in this, in this scenario? To be this mother, I think they specifically try to put you in the shoes of the mother there. Yeah. The hoping... You don't yeah. want to lose your child. Yeah, and what where they could depict these people as being totally and absolutely lacking in depth. You know, there's this deep sense of caring that they all have for each other. Where it's talking about um, the the magic man saying protective prayers for the mother. You know, that's mm. the, that's very just baseline human decency right there. And so it, it creates a pleasant kind of tension in between the language they're using and what they're depicting. I'm going into the musical territory and the whole thing. I, I like, because, you know, it's like the walrus and it has like that catchy little thing that it opens with. And it's a little, little, it's not like as spooky, it's a little more kind of, kind of a little more upbeat, you know, for the theme at least. You know, it's dun, 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 like that whole thing. Like I, like, I like that. It, it, it kind of shows, like, this 
whole thing is very upbeat for them. You know, it's it's a ceremony. It's not killing a walrus or anything like that. It's, it's more like, hey, they're celebrating this person's being born. It's like, hey, we do that. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's just that there's a chance we might have to kill the baby, so... Yeah, that makes a nice bit of drama. Yeah. It, yeah, because, you know, they, they... If I'm not mistaken in the story, they never say if it's a male or female. The only hint we get is they sing a life. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in the lyrics, um, or from what I can perceive as the lyrics, it sounds optimistic. Yeah, because in the story they mentioned, like, you know, they're chanting for, like, male, so that was probably what that whole optimistic was. It was like, hey, we're, we're, we hope it's a male. I do like that vagueness, though, yeah. in this story. That It kind of... Uh... It, it, le- it lets you... Let, let's you kind of decide, like what, like what, what happened to that child after they took it away? Yeah, that like vagueness kind of exists throughout the entire album, and I really like that about all the stories and kind of the music even. Because they make it work. I mean, like they, they, it'd be very easy to resolve that mystery, but instead they take it and they say, "Well, who knows? Could go either way." There's a there's a, like a subtlety in this album that really uh, up to this point in the residents' career they never really used before. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some works preceding this that are uh, sort of lacking in subtlety. Oh yeah, most of it's like so bold that it makes no sense. But um, uh, yeah, I, I I like the whole vagueness thing to it too it lets you decide like hey are these people is this baby gonna have a lighter outcome is it gonna have a darker outcome is it gonna happen it's female and there is another male or not like which one do you want yeah we we were never told if if that circumstance was met so for all we know there could have been a need for a baby girl yeah and, and then a baby girl was born and they kept it but before you can even think about that, they whisk you away in the wind once again. Like Dorothy in her house to Oz. Except in this case, Oz is a lot colder. So, here we have Arctic Hysteria, the the next track. Jeez, man. If we thought the walrus hunt was spooky. It, yeah, oh, the, me, oh, my, oh, man. Yeah, this one starts off with the um, just wind, and it's got like the, the plucking of that one instrument. And you just have the uh, Let me get the name of that for you. Uh, supposedly, the koa. Uh, the koa. Or, probably. That's what it says here. Of the I, instrumentation I also have a source the... that's spelled Kua. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, so that thing. I, I, yeah, a plucked string instrument, so it's got to be that. It's, but... a dis- it's very dissonant, and it, it sounds dark. For, for me, at least, like, the audio of it just imagines me just, you know, some lady out there plucking away in the dark. Yeah, for this phenomenon that they, they have to experience. Like yeah, like I guess for me it's it's just personally like kind of more like 
lonely in sounding because I, I always have like a, I have kind of like a mental soft spot for like lone instruments and singing over it in the middle of nothing. So it's just natural yeah. to me. It's like, oh, this is this is pretty. This is pretty freaky. Yeah, this track is definitely the point at which if you didn't think you needed headphones to listen to this, you definitely do now. Um, cause wow, it just surrounds you in this. I'm yeah, this album is best listened to in the dark. It's hmm hmm. It's it's split up into sections, it, which I very much enjoy. Cause you know you have the plucking and the lone singing and the the beating of the 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 cloak, the fur clothing, and the wind that just picks back up and there's it's a whole it's not wind but it's a whole lot of noise and chaos that just sort of builds and drowns out any sound and then it peaks and isn't that where all the like rapid pounding down sounds kick in uh i believe so yes yeah you know, there's the sound of just something like, like well, in the story, it says it's the sound of snow being packed down on top of this woman. Yes. <laughs> and this is, I, the story goes with it really well, but I think this is where the music really takes hold of the story in a way I don't, I don't personally feel like it did in the tracks before it, just because, can you really start off with that? <laughs> Yeah, I the, the uh, little chanting towards the end too, like they're really fascinating, like chicka 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 chicka, that sort of thing. Um, if that's at least what they're saying, um, it kind of gives you an idea because the delivery um, kind of shows you like how usual is this for the old Inuits? Um, because they don't sound, you know, like they're really sorrowful about it. They don't sound like they're panicking. No, not at all. It's pretty normal to them, and. They've at least gotten to the point where they don't really seem to feel, you know, like, sad about it, I guess. It's like, because they're, they're, they're pretty enthusiastic with the chanting, too. Yeah. The chanting, um, like, for most of this album, doesn't really take on any kind of, like, emotion. Yeah. So it, show, it shows that whatever's, whatever's kind of going around around them, they're used to it very much. Yeah, and she herself, as... You know, she's realizing that everybody around her thinks she's dead, which is, I, I think it's, it's... Terrifying. Very it's, Twilight Zone-esque. Yeah. Terrifying and fascinating, because that's, again, the residents showing a bit of, a bit more nuance than, than is, like, at the base level in the depiction of these people. You know, the snow's being packed down, and she's thinking that uh, she's dead, and that everybody around her is singing a song of farewell... You know, they walk you through death along with her, as her. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not this terrible, depressing thing. It's really, more than anything, it's chaotic. It's chaotic and a little catatonic. Uh, and then, you know, as it says in the story, things clear up. <laughs> you she know. comes to and she just goes right back to doing what she was doing. As if nothing ever happened. Yeah, chanting to release her from the spell of Arctic hysteria. And then she just goes on about her day. I mean, that's... Or her <laughs> night. Her, like... 
Whatever. Her awake period. Yeah, her six-month-long six night awake edition. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, the, the whole, like, like hey, I, I this whole happened. Back to business. Yeah, be like that sometimes. So, yeah, I really do be like that out here sometimes. But um, we live in a society. So it's like, it's, you know, it's like, it's almost like this isn't the, the first time this has happened. To the... Quote from the residents, not only do we live in a society, but they do too. We all live in a society in this world, even the people on the ice. Oh, gosh. Mind blown. It really do be like that sometimes. I mean, like, we don't think it do be like it is, but it do. But that musical loneliness that's at the beginning. The musical loneliness is resolved by the fact that when the people come in, it turns out she lives in a society. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting contrast because as everybody that apparently is around her realizes that she's going into this trance, they just, they're on it like that. And then they start chanting on the dot just to get her out of it. And suddenly, like, from from an audio perspective, you're just surrounded by this noise. This noise and this chanting and the sound of rescue effort. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's like the music itself. It's like putting you through the hysteria yourself. Like, I mean, like, I guess we were never really given much detail in the audible part of the hysteria. So it could be that that whole really mess of sound, the really high pitched ringing at one point, it's just like that's part of the hysteria. So maybe it's putting the panic you... attack. Yeah, exactly. It's like kind of a you're screwed audibly. It's like destroying your ears kind of thing. Yeah, I know for me, it makes me the sound of it all makes me feel kind of claustrophobic. It, it's very chaotic. Yeah, and then then she gets out of it. She looks at the northern lights playing her instrument. And she's thinking, we live in a society. We live in a society. Bottom text. <laughs> bottom text. When you go to the land of the crestfallen, bottom text. So it be like bottom text. <laughs> so basically, I'm dead. So basically, so basically, I'm I'm Inuit. Bottom text. There's a good chunk of people listening to this who have no idea what's going on right now. Kids these days. They're um, like, what the hell are these youths talking about? I'm talking um, about society that, that they be do live in. in the talking about culture. society, Dad. I have a small correction to make. Earlier I said it was the woman herself who was playing the koa. Uh, the kua, and it's not. It's somebody in the distance. But I think that even the fact that somebody else was playing it, that adds to that loneliness. Mm. Because they, it all sounds so far away. and The person playing it... it because it's so far away, it doesn't feel like a person almost. It's just this ambient sound. Which, like, shout out to Inuit cultures for coming up with ambient music. There you have it. I like to think that the uh, the woman, like, started, like, having these, like, symptoms of the hysteria. And the person playing the instrument came and was like, No! And then he, like, smashed her over the head with it. It's like, stop, you're, you'll be okay. You'll be okay, you're not dead. <laughs> That's what all the noise is, the ringing in the ears is from being hit in the head. Got little little birds or little walruses <laughs> flying around her head. Aww. Yeah, swimming around her head. Penguins. Little dogs. You know, the, the, the drum being far away reminds uh, Anna Karenina, the Russian novel by Leo Tolstoy. In which, man, it's a huge spoiler. <laughs> You're the was... only person who's going to know what this is. Come on, people have read Anna Karenina. It's like I extremely haven't. famous. Well, I'm not, I'm like not Russian, classic... I don't know this stuff. 
Well, I I'm not Russian either. Just you know, tell you know, what what is the reference? Well, I don't want to. Sp- All right, say it. We'll cr- edit it out. Anna Karenina spoilers ahead for those of you who care about me spoiling this several hundred year old book. Um, you know, Anna Karenina, the titular character, goes through all this. Like she, more or less, she cheats on her husband and she's ostracized by her community. So at the end of the book, she yeah, she does live in a society one that does not like her after she cheats on her husband. In any case, she ends up killing herself and she, for whatever reason, is like obsessed with this this man who's working on the railroad and she's like muttering to himself and clanking away on the railroad and it's very Ooh. similar that kind of sensation of, of loneliness and nobody knows I'm here and I'm going to die and nobody's going to notice and or I've died and nobody knows where I've gone and this kind of idea that people around you despite the fact that they're around you could uh, increase that sensation of loneliness if that makes sense I'm speaking gobbledygook but that's fine I think that makes plenty of sense that's very poignant yeah I get, I get what you mean because like, the whole singing like and then there's no like the person playing the instrument doesn't exactly change it so to fit the singing it just keeps playing it as it is Life goes on regardless of what's going to happen to this woman or regardless of what's going to happen to Anna Karenina. Um, so I think we're just about done with Arctic Hysteria. Let's go on to the angry Angacock. I'm going to go ahead and say that I like the the really weird kind of electric buzzing noise in the beginning. Because there's, you know, I, I listen to music other than the Residence. Surprise, surprise. Loser. Uh, damn. Traitorous. And, uh, I know I've committed a sin. You can sacrifice me to the uh, spirit now. But uh, there's uh, Nine Inch Nails is one of them. And they have this one song that I really like that begins with kind of that electric buzzing sound. It's a little more organized, but it reminds me kind of of that. And uh, then it loses all of the coherence, and then I'm just like, oh, this is The Residence. Stop. Wow. Yeah, I believe the, the electric sounds you're talking about in the beginning are the supposed whales of the story. Oh, those are some interesting whale sounds. Are they robo whales? They're, they're like little beeps almost. Those like hums that are very high pitched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be whales. I really like that. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I like the way that they turn the, the sounds of the whole environment into like that. Yeah, the incorporation of uh, sort of, you know, residential electronic sounds and the more organic sounds of the acoustic instruments that are supposedly in there. It works really well. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting sound that I think fits not only the tone of the album, but then also, like, it makes it feel colder. It also just fits, like, the whole art style they're going for. Like, even if we go back to the to the cover art again, like, the very pointy, like, glacial mountain things. Yeah. Kind of... Kind of look like audio waves. Like, it, yeah. it, it, it's very reflective of that electronic sound. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, I, get, I actually, now that I look at it, I get what you mean, because it's like, they look really artificial. Exactly. And there, there's that minimalism there in the uh, electronic sound, especially. Yeah, because it, it, it is kind of a basic electronic sound. Yeah, the, the way they have that kind of, like, artificial depiction of these things. Because on the album art, uh, it, it sort of, 
looks like what you'd see on the interior of like an Inuit themed tilt a whirl at a fair, you know. Which is like in line with this whole thing, this whole motif, I suppose, of an outsider's perspective and this whole Western perspective of a culture that isn't theirs. It's so we we or they or whoever you want to say, whatever pronoun or whatever you want to use, uh has created an artificial perception, artificial reality for this actual thing that's gone on. Does yeah. that make sense? No, so absolutely. Like, in in using like these artificial sounds to represent natural things, it's kind of emblematic of this whole uh you know. You know? Yes, I do know. That is I hadn't thought of that, and that's really on the nose, wow. They they did the same thing in Animal Lover too, because they um which was what, like 26 years after this? Um, where they, like, do you, you know, think used... we can do math? I can't count. I can't. I, I'm just taking a wild guess. Um, I'm, I'm guessing uh, Animal Lover came a thousand years after this one. That but, seems um, about accurate. Hell yeah. But uh, it's like, you know, they use, like, guitars and stuff, like, really droning guitars to make, like, almost a whale sound and that kind of thing. Whale, W-A-I-L? No, I mean, I mean like, like the, the kind of... What I mean is like that that like that kind oh, of sound. Oh, okay. Thank they, you. They they like were Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I I do whale impressions for a living. Come see me on stand up. But uh So do you do whale impressions or comedy? I I do comedy about whales. Comedy for whales. Mm. And for whales, yeah, so they can understand me. I, I just basically sit on a stage for half an hour going, mm. uh, I might actually watch that. I think I, that's I, what the residents are doing here. They're trying to. Um, they, that's step probably what on they wanted for this this opera if they ever made it. So, yeah, yeah, it was just going to be stand up comedy by and for whales. Except it's not actually by whales, but the whales in the audience don't know because they're in the water. Um, so shout out to all the whales. Shout out to the whales in the UK. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You guys didn't get to see the resident. I'm gonna throw you in the ocean. Um, so let's. And speaking of throwing people in the ocean. Um, the story. Yeah, the music and the story. <laughs> uh, so, after that whole electronic buzzing bit, it's kind of a jaunty tune, if I do say so myself. Their their chanting is very catchy, but it's very silly sounding, because it's... That's it. And it's all serving a purpose. I think I think that's a, another thing that they're pointing out here is that everything they do has some kind of utility, which plays into the othering factor. You know, it's like they're not just singing and chanting for fun like real cultures do. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to get the um, the ice flow to break off so that they can get some food. They're hungry. I get that. I respect that. And so... It, this one, I think, is the one like with the most personal, personal not being like personal to the residents, but individuals start to actually stand out culturally here. The story development wig, you know, because you've got everybody chanting and the Angakok doing doing his magic, you know, waving his Inuit wand around or whatever um, to try and get this ice to break, and then some turd. Some irreverent little turd hunter pulls up on the spot, and it's like, well, what do you think you're doing? Your magic? It's trash. And I think that is both very fun and relatable. Yeah, they're saying, necky, necky, necky. Yeah, but of course the story doesn't end there, um, because that would make a pretty bad 
ending, but you know the the chanting is a rap, it's, a rap battle between an Anganok and a hunter or an Angacock and a hunter. Yeah, that's basically what it is. <laughs> um, and you've got the <laughs> you've got the crowd chanting their taunt of necky necky necky. Um, and I, I, I sort of like the way I, I like it. The way they're representing the culture, it's very exciting, and once again, they're getting you, the listener, involved in the in the culture, and this is something that I think probably, like, this is just WWE. That's all that is. <laughs> Hunter versus Angaka. Yeah, that's that's their names. And the reason you can't see me is not because my time is now, but because there's a whiteout. So, yeah, the now they like, the role of chanting and magic in all of this is sort of delightfully prominent. You know, they really flesh that out. Uh, because the Angakok is like, say those words to me again. And the hunter says those words to him again. And then, the, the Angakok, like, as I guess just, well, they describe it as a giant snake which stands on the water. What it sounds like is some kind of, I don't know, t- like, ice twister? Some kind of... Some ice tornado? I don't know. Basically, he he summoned a whole entire snowstorm. Yeah, I forgot that snow was a thing that happened there. (laughs) I'm no better than the residents. (laughs) It's raining ice. That's terrible. And then that whole ice storm snake thing breaks off the ice. And then as it passes by and goes away, the hunter is gone. Like, that's wild. (laughs) I I love it. He said, be gone, thought. He basically like looked into the uh, eyes of the hunter. He said, "Say those words to me again, you little uh, n- n- necky." And then, uh, and then he said him again, and then he just managed to smite him using his finger. Yeah, it's very biblical. Um, my very boy, old, Thanos. Old Testament. Oh my god! <laughs> he stamped his fingers, and, and then the guy just withered away. I don't feel so good, Mister Agnacock. <laughs> Agnacock, I think I have a stare. And then they died. Interestingly, when I was listening to this again uh, last night in the dark, alone, uh, oh, yeah. um, I had, when this when the wind part kicked in, I w- for the first time in listening to it and listening to that track, I really felt it. I was really in it. I don't know what the difference was this time, but I could never really visualize what was going on with this giant snake which stands on the water thing. Then it just sort of made sense, and I wasn't even reading the story at the time. And so, I think that's just a testament to the effectiveness of the audio storytelling here. I like how this story is basically the only one that has, like, very... It's very explicit in its its magical qualities. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, this guy is basically the god of these people, and he just summoned a storm and killed a hunter. As one does. Don't you wish you could do that? Like, some somebody, like talk smack and you're just like say it again and they say it again you're just like watch this you are like a little baby yeah, just, watch this and I snap my fingers and they just <laughs> this whole, whole snowstorm whole, whole snowstorm comes out and takes them away Cat, what this reminds me of is the sort of thing you were mentioning with the colonialism thing um, it was noted in a lot like in a lot of texts from it's like very like transcriptions of legends from really various Native American tribes in the United States, before they were the United States, and even after, when these colonizers came in with Christianity, 
that actually shifted how their stories were told. Because in a lot of these stories before that, there were not really... For some of them, there weren't really singular gods beforehand. There, You know, it was just sort of like anthropomorphized forces of nature and like trickster spirits and stuff like that. But then after the introduction of Western cultures, the idea of a singular deity became incorporated into those stories. And maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not, but I see a lot of that here, right? Because the Angakok, despite being, you know, just a magic man, which is still quite a... He's a magic man, you know. Even though he is already that, a magic man has sort of different powers than a god does. But here he's channeling this, like, Old Testament god kind of... Kind of rage here. Are we um, doing Wormwood? Patience, child. Patience. Eskimo Part 2, Wormwood. <laughs> Subtitle, you figure it out. You know, and you see, that's, that's what I think is really fascinating here, is that you get the whole thing where the residents are reflecting on the Western cultures examining this other and enforcing their own concepts into it. Again, not only a a not understanding, but an unwillingness to understand in favor of uh, preserving this mysticism, this idea of what you want it to be to make it sound more cool or more, wow, look at this, and wow, and more quote-unquote savage. Yeah, I think it speaks to a lot of like Judeo-Christian ideas of how the divine should be interacted with by... Mm really everybody else because it it's describing how everybody's running away from this giant snake and watching in fear um and hysterically running for safety and how it's like basically divine wrath that's pretty legit and that kind of storytelling speaks i think pretty powerfully to people who have already those kinds of concepts about singular deities and uh the force of their rage and whatnot i like how even in the story, the magic that the Angakok uses, it's just described as, quote, a giant snake which stands on water, which it adds to that sort of detachment that the entire album has. Because it's, it's very primitive the way they describe it compared to the way they describe pretty much everything else in the album. Yeah, because it's like a fully not understood thing. Yeah. They could have described it better, but they but they didn't because it's this weird thing that the other culture believes in that we, of course, don't. Yeah, they've just channeled it, and nobody really knows how it, how they did it or what it was, but it did all of these things because them, through their primitive views of the world and of magic and of God, have access to a different part that we can't. They even put the quotes on there. They're like, well, best way we have to describe it, giant snake, it stands on the water. We know because we asked them. (laughs) We put put it in quotes because they said it was a giant snake and it stands on the water, so that's what we say. We think it be like it does, but they think do. Okay. So let's move on to... Yeah. I hate this one for one reason. What's that? It woke you up? Was this one that woke you up? No, that was birth. This Got is the you. One, this is the one with the doggy. Oh, doggy, poor doggy, doggy. doggy. I wish doggy. this would happen to my stupid dogs. Just kidding, I love my dogs. No! I'll take your dogs <laughs> if you say that. 
No, they're good. Cody's good. Molly sucks. You can have Molly. Hey, wait. No, there's a real person named that. You can't say that. Oh, Molly. Oh. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no. Molly's a good person. Not her. I'm talking about my dog. Don't do nothing to, to human Molly. We love you, human Molly. We love you, human Molly. Uh, so that that goes out to every human named Molly out there. Yep, uh, every single one of them. Yeah, everyone every else, one it, of them. It, if you're not named Molly, you can go screw yourself. But uh, we really, we really can't be bothered with you. Who do you think you are if your name's not Molly? Like, what do you think you're doing? What's the point? What's the um, point? <laughs> In fact, we here at Homeage uh, Conversations are all. Like in the process of legally changing our names to Molly, so I I've already gotten my middle name changed to Molly. So soon it'll just be Molly, Molly, Molly. Exactly. But um... so let's actually talk about this. Okay, so I honestly, even though this one has, you know, the uncomfortable doggy part, um, uh, I like the, it starts out again with another jovial tune, and just they're just chilling. I mean, the story says otherwise. But it's kind of, you know, it's just a regular celebration as opposed to all the other ones we've seen. Well, regular enough. You know, it's, it's a celebration just as any other holiday? Yeah, it's basically a holiday. Um, they, they're just like laying down some really sick jams with their instruments. Because and... hunting season was bomb. Um, and the chanting is kind of like, it, it's, now it's less um, structured. You know, you get people just kind of like, ah! ah. And then they go back to playing all their instruments. Because they just going in. They just going ham. They're just happy as clams. But yeah, the, like, the very bassy, 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 <laughs> fish. The very, like, bassy kind of drums happening. You know, it's not super panicked. We're just chilling. Shout out to hunting season. Uh, we're doing great. But then they use the wind as kind of like a, a little, like... An omen of sorts. Yeah. The wind is a very creepy thing here. Shout out to them and their wind replicate wind sound replicating abilities. I don't know they how did they the, did they that. They did that with a synth, didn't they? Maybe. I mean, it had to be like a, like a white noise machine or something. But yeah, you know, you have this very jovial scene. And then in comes the wind, so you know it's about to go down. And then, and then you start hearing the child crying. You know what, I'll say it right here and now. This must have been inspired by when the residents were in Safeway taking pictures. They probably saw an unattended child, and they said, Ah, I see now. Uh, I also like how the story itself it, it gives you that bit of foreshadowing before the wind does, because it talks about the disappearance of children. And if you're reading this along with the music... You're like, this is, okay, thanks. Thanks, I guess, for mentioning the disappearance of children. Yeah, I mean, like, the name of the song is A Spirit Steals a Child, and then the music starts to fade out, and you hear a child uh, crying. I'm pretty sure that. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, gee, I wonder what's uh, about to happen here. Yeah, but, you know, because you see the track title and then the quick description of the half-seal, half-woman spirit. uh, spirit, Yeah, the spirit of the weeping seal who steals children she leaves that she sees are left unguarded and so you're like oh okay that's what this is gonna be like and then you get these people tapping away on their drums having a grand old time they have that Um, like marimba instrument that's amazing yeah i have to imagine like a bunch of cartoon cats in an alley they're playing it on like skeletons exactly exactly that's what i was just about to say it's like it reminds me of like 
a cartoon skeleton. Um, so in the instruments of the ceremonial band, it actually calls this instrument the sedrak, which is a tuned percussive instrument made of walrus and whale ribs, which are struck with the bones of frozen fish. Okay. Well, there you have it. Okay. Well, they did a good job replicating that sound. Yeah, like, like a full skeleton of one of those animals is like tapping its ribs. Yeah. So, but then, you know, it, it, you realize what's going on. And the wind starts spinning, and then you hear this kid crying, um, which, oh man, they're such effective storytellers. Yeah, you're, you're, not, you're not in the little safe place that they're playing all the music, and you're now behind an igloo. Yeah, you are the child. Congratulations. And then the wind starts to get pitched. Uh, it takes on a musical quality, which it really doesn't do so much in the previous tracks, except for maybe on Arctic Hysteria. This time, it's got, like, body to it, um, probably because in some way or another, it's representing the weeping seal's arrival. Um, like, yeah. the, the image I get in my mind is, like, these, like, spirits in the air. The, the wind itself is almost a spirit in this exact part of the song. I like to think the spirits are actually just the residents in their eyeball costumes. Like, yeah, like come on, we're going to leave you back to safety. <laughs> just stealing kids left and right. Yeah, they're um, like, we need you for Goosebump, come on. Oh, man, Goosebumps. <laughs> and so the wind picks up, and it, it gets all spooky and scary, and if you have your headphones on, you're like, oh, God, I'm going to die. I'm going to get stolen away by the spirit of the weeping seal. That's going to be it for me. But then they bring back this social element that they also had in Arctic Hysteria. This album is very mm. well balanced. And birth, right? We were talking about that being yeah. birth as well? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all very... It, it's everywhere in this album. I am the wind. Um, I, I like to think that um, the kind of repeating themes is kind of like the chorus of a song. Mm. For, yeah. It just keeps coming back repeatedly. Um, spins me right round like a record, baby. Oh, that, um, well, in that case, that's like, like every single spirit, part of the song baby. is the same. Like a great snake that stands on the water, baby. But, you know, you, you, one of the people from the party, just going down, notices that a child is is gone, which is a problem. And so they're, like, on top of it. They're accustomation, I think that's a word, to how the world around them works in all of its magical, natural complexities. You know, in an instant, this uh, this person starts, you know, freaking out and runs back and it's like, hey, uh, y'all may be gone. Yeah, and the Angakok on it, as, as always, starts chanting and then, you know, once again, there's so much drama in it. It's, it is like a nature documentary because even though that slows the spirit, everybody's got to get it together and go get this child. And so uh, I guess it's time to address the doggy part because uh, dog sleds. Yeah, God, this, it's difficult. If Hey, if you like dogs and you don't like hearing about bad things happening to fictional dogs uh, voice acted by the residents... This is a good time to cover your the, ears. The Uncover them eventually. Uh, you know what? I'll just like bite the bullet and I'll just start describing myself here. So part of their little ceremony is decapitating a dog. So that the child's spirit can be brought back. Yes. By said pooch. So, yeah. So what they do is, you know, they, 
the Angacock speaks his little spill, and then <clears throat> they bring a dog to him, and they decapitate the dog. And you know they they do their little ceremony, and then the dogs are howling because they you know smell the blood of their own kind. Yeah, and su- supposedly how it's supposed to work is that uh, this sacrifice. Well, once again, this theme of that sacrifice. I mean, does it? it what's more dead, a child or a dog? Vote on your phones now. Um, supposedly, this this dog head is supposed to get the weeping seal spirit to return the stolen child, and it's gonna, like bite him, yeah. Flato. <laughs> yeah. So this is also kind. Of, this also shows up in birth because um, it doesn't specifically tell you if it was if it did anything. Um, the story yeah. ends on kind of a mysterious note, speaking of how the spirits are intertwining in the air, and they, the men return to the village, waiting to see, you know, hey, did it work? They, they, they just said they're in hopes that the child was there. I love how it ends like that. It's, uh, it's so good. I, I remember when I was listening to this. and like, It's I, melancholy. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> there's so many things dying and going missing. But I, and there's still that hope, but there's this vague sense, this looming sense of there's like a fifty-fifty chance it could go amazingly or it could go terribly. I I remember when I first uh, listened to it too, and like you know towards the end the anchor cock he kind of gets like this you know it almost sounds like he's kind of panicked. Yeah. So, so I was always like when I first listened to it I thought like like is someone trying to kill him and I mm. I got because there is part of it like in the the little. Uh, little random little information that you can get. Uh, they did mention something about, like, what happens when an Angacog is murdered. So I, I thought, like, well, you know, maybe that's kind of what happened. Like, I thought someone, like, realized, hey, he has too much power, and then they tried to kill him. But, yeah. no, that's not what happened. Yeah. I can see how that would... That would be a conclusion that you'd come to. But, yeah, like, with the whole thing where he sounds kind of panicked, that's, I think that's really, really another time where they're being very humanizing. You know, because even though on tracks like Birth, they're sort of depicting these people as having very strange opinions surrounding children and the birth of children and all sorts of ritual things surrounding that, you know, it's still the importance of protecting these children and making sure that they are not left unattended and are not stolen away. Yeah, that, that um, was one of their rules. Is like, don't leave children unattended. Yeah, I think that's really that's pretty important there. And then as you know, the Angacock's voice gets more and more panicked. They once again humanize or anthropomorphize the wind as the weeping seal spirit, and it gets that musical kind of tone. So you know, oh, you know, oh, when, you know, when, oh, you know, when it gets musical wind, that's that weeping seal spirit. Yeah, so basically the Angacock is arguing with a spirit. I know she stole a child. <laughs> Give me the child! And then the, the wind is like talking to him saying, I don't have a child. And he's yelling back, Give me the child! You have a child right behind you. Where is she? Where is <laughs> Batman. <laughs> Batman. Yeah, it's, it's like um, the Angacock, he puts on like his Batman hood and, he's, and he like grabs the spirit by the shoulder. He's like shaking him. He's like, where is she? <laughs> or, no, where is he? Because it's a boy. Yeah, so, good track, very good track. I, I like how, uh, this one is, in my opinion, the most story-y. Oh, yeah. Of, of the, of the stories. It's like a complete, uh, besides the ending, but it's a, it's a very complete 
story. It reminds me a lot of uh, Loss of Innocence from commercial album. How it's this entire snapshot of a whole narrative almost, but it's still vague and weird. Yeah, they use sound really effectively. It, I think it's it has to do with the theory of phonetic organization. They're building the music and um, all that out of the sounds of people and the sounds of dogs and the sound of like the wind speaking to the angacock. I I um I always liked that way like like overall the story of this and in a couple of things like you know loss of innocence it's like you don't get much context beyond what you would have seen if you were there so yeah and it, it's just like you know real life it's like you, like when you're hearing all this or seeing all of it it's like you don't know like what the hell is this guy cutting a dog's head off for I feel nasty saying that but like then you read the text and it's like this is a ritual they do. And this is something that I can I can look at and say, okay, well, yeah, if this is your ritual for getting children back from spirits, then totally, that's what you do. Um, yeah, because they, they never, like, say, again, they never, like, say, like, hey, this is a ritual they have in the, in the song. It's all, like, if you if you jump in there without reading a little bit of history on their, uh, on the, on the in, Inuits... Well, you're going to be in for a hell of a ride because you're not going to definitely know what is confusing. Yeah, it's also interesting to me, at least when I was reading that uh, the idea of like the, the the weeping seal woman and how she's upset that she can't have any kids, so she kidnaps other people's children because we see that kind of spirit a lot in like basically every culture. Like, there's one in Japan whose name I forget, where she like cries and she tries to get a baby or tries to lead you to her baby. Uh, that could be two different spirits. I can't remember. Um, we have the woman in white in America and Mexico has La Girona, Gironia, Girona, which is also very similar. She goes around crying and she's like, where's my babies? So I also find it interesting that we've incorporated or they've incorporated or whoever has incorporated this idea. We are the residents. We are, uh, we are all residents. We are the world. We are the children. <laughs> okay, so to cut that short, because if I have to hear anything about We Are the World at uh, 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night, I'm going to lose it. Let's move on to the last track. The Festival of Death is really it's really the most song-like song in this entire album. In Full my of songs, opinion. supposedly. It, 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 we, it, we think it might be a song, but we don't know. It's pretty musical. I'll, I'll agree with that. It is very musical in parts. It definitely has the feeling of the end of an album. It, but a finale it, well, it, of sorts. Yeah, it's, it feels like a mean trick that they're playing where you think the album is over, but oh no, there's like, there's time left, so you yeah. you deal with that one. Yeah, you, you hear the wi- the wind, and you think like, oh, maybe this is just a closer, maybe this is a bit of ambient, and then yeah, very then, like tragic low horn, almost like the sound then, of distant bells chiming. Yeah, those. I was I was gonna say like, then you hear those, and you realize, yeah, you still got one more ride to go. And there's that there's like the distant chanting. I I like to think 
think it's almost like there's two ways it could be taken. Because, you know, the the whole thing, it rises in volume and you can start hearing the chants more and more. So um, I like to think is there's one of two possibilities. You are arriving at the Festival of Death or you are one of the spirits that are meant to be coming to the mm. Festival of Death. Ooh. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. Galaxy-brained. But, yeah... Miwi, you are totally correct in saying that this one is probably, it, like, off the bat, more musical. Because uh, it's got a deep, electronic kind of jaunty tune going on at a very low, low range as the music builds up. It just explores so many different kinds of, of sound, I guess. And, the like, I think another part that I really like is, like, the clacking the clicky clacky sound of uh, the percussion, yeah. But this one gets more electronic, and in a way, it as a major festival in this imaginary sort of well, mostly imaginary culture, uh, imaginary in the way they're depicting it. You know, as this is the biggest event that they've got, there's this yeah, there's this added bit of like even more so than usual. This added bit of mysticism surrounding it to convey to an audience that doesn't know really like why it matters um you know the insertion of these familiar things to make an unfamiliar thing comprehensible uh at the price of truth yeah i don't i don't think we can really discuss more of the music without getting into the story I, yeah i i i just like to think like the, you can tell where the tonal shift of the festival changes because in the story you know at first you know they're all they're all wearing their masks and they're celebrating this death thing and then the people run out and then it becomes it changes out and it, and it switches to like this uh it's more festive yeah a lot more a lot, lot more like happy-ish despite everything that's already happened before this you, you can tell where that shift is because like in the beginning you hear all you have all of these like beats and stuff, and it all sounds really spooky, all the whistles, and, and then towards the end, you know, it turns into, like, this nicer, upbeat. I think this one is another one where you have to read along to get what's going on, even though the tone is communicated, because, like, the story is really something else, and dare I say it, it's spookier than the music itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it describes, like, a face as tall as a man, a big, round, evil face wandered at random. And once again, this presence of the dead. Which is a way for them, I think, probably to communicate the otherness. It's like, the dead are not just... They're not just ghosts. They, they're they tangible. They have an effect, yeah. And in a way, they are deities of their own because they need to be fought off in their own kind of way. Where... They can, like, they say they stole the sun. (laughs) And really, in Western culture, it's like, well, ghosts just kind of hang around being ectoplasmic idiots knocking chairs over. If you're Slimer, you'll destroy a ballroom and Bill Murray comes, and it's a whole ordeal. Yeah. And in Western culture, in Western cultures, when you're dead, you're pretty much, like, just dead. You don't get any really extra powers, and in fact, you lose for the most part, the ability to communicate in your own way um, with the living. But here, yeah, the here the dead, in their being dead, 
you know, with the presence of other animal spirits being mentioned before, one, it's not just humans, so no, all dogs do not go to heaven. Sometimes they turn into epic ghosts. But two, uh, a lot of these spirits, they have kind of a a power, um, like almost like they're deities. And I think that's really very neat. Yeah, like it's in, just in short, like in the Western stuff, it's like, ooh, spooky, They're, they're hanging around, they're... Showing up in my mirrors, the mirror people. And up in the Arctic, they're stealing the sun. <laughs> so, like, uh, if you're not in the Arctic, uh, you need to step up your game, spirits. Yeah, yeah it's like, they used to be so spooky. They used to be such, like, like uh, crazy things, like in the medieval times. And now they're, now they're just... Well, the ghosts in, like, Japan, they have some crazy ghosts in Japan. Basically, Judeo-Christian yeah. ghosts are that- a lot lamer. <laughs> Yeah, back in back in medieval times, you all those spooky like, oh, they're demons. They're like hanging out in our houses, and they uh, dance alone. Play, yeah. yeah, they <laughs> dance alone, and they're and they're playing trumpets and they're holding eyeballs and, and they're not even good at playing the trumpet. Yeah, it's a, it sounds sounds like MIDI. <laughs> These spirits are not evil, which I, I think that is so. Ah, man, that is so fascinating. The fact that these spirits are not necessarily evil. This is just a part of the routine. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're this is how, they're, how they behave. And what's even more is that even though it's like the Angakok who does all the cool magic and the hunters and the men who make, you know, who sort of operate on the, on the day-to-day basis, at these key points, um, it's feminism it's the women of the tribe yes, queens. <laughs> we stand legends wig um you know they're the ones who are literally asking the dead to return the sun more so demanding they're just like hey hey get out of here yeah you get on out of here <laughs> um you know the women of the tribe interact with the music and the music has this relation to spirituality that I think is very neato because what is chanting without some backup guitar and drums, baby? Hell yeah! Ooh, hell <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the, that helps make the song that keeps the world going around for them. And then the men, once the sun has been returned, they take off their dead spirit masks and stop trying to blend in with them. And then... The festive songs begin, and oh man, okay, we got here. The festive songs. Is it time? Yeah, it is time. It is time. Time to take out my delicious, refreshing Coca-Cola. I've actually, I actually, Hell yeah. I already finished mine. I was trying to add life with all that death that was going on. Aww. I don't but. drink Coca-Cola that often, I'm sorry, but it tastes like lime. And so, yeah, for the unaware, because... I don't know how we could expect you to be aware, unless, you know, you already... Yeah, that, a part of the, the chants, this is where the incorporation of brands and slogans really kicks it into high gear. Because they start chanting, like, please don't squeeze the Charmin, and probably some other things and for a little bit, but then it, it shifts, and it builds as they repeat, um... Coca-Cola adds life, and the instruments join in more and more, and then it peaks with, we want Coke, oh yeah. We want Coke, oh yeah. 
And then just there's this breakdown, the beat drops, everybody's like dabbing and doing dances left and right, doing the stanky leg in the Arctic, <laughs> slipping all around on the ice, doing the Superman, that O. Now, now they've got like, they got like tank tops and like uh, sandals with socks on. They got, like, They're on island time, baby. And they flipped and, like, like hats off to the side. <laughs> Can I just say, and I know I've said this before, but Coca-Cola, it does add life. I don't know. Can I add, like, a really horrifying image into everybody's head? No. Uh, I mean, I guess. So, um, you know, as they're doing their business and stuff, uh, one of the Eskimos takes out a vape and they just take a, they rip a fat fat rip. (laughs) That's what the anchor conference doing! (laughs) Yeah! That's what he did when, when he was, when he was arguing with that hunter, he like just took out a vape and blew it in his face and he just died. He blew the sickest vape (laughs) cloud known to man. It was Um, like, it was like one of those huge boxes and he just like exhales (laughs) all of it out and it causes a huge (laughs) snowstorm. (laughs) Oh man. God, I can't wait for that to be cut out. Nobody deserves to hear that. Nope. So... Yeah, they're all very grateful uh, for the spirits having gone away, and then so they start chanting about the brands and whatnot. Then these, I mean, it it really puts some uh, jingles in a different light because they're catchy, uh, and the words that are used in these jingles are made to be catchy. And so the residents take that and use it under the theory of phonetic organization because it sounds good. And they're using those words as sound. So those become a part of the percussion just as much as the drums are. And, yeah, I think that is that is very effective. And there's this relationship between the Inuit culture and their environment where even though all of the things we've heard and read about, even though those things occur seemingly fairly regularly, there's no attempt on the part of the Inuit culture to destroy nature. And that's othering. Because if you really if you really want to live up to those Western values, you have to look nature in the eye when it's doing absolutely nothing and say, this has to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's as gratefully the dead had released their hold once more. It, it's open-ended, you know, it's not saying the dead are defeated forever and they've been sent away and they'll never take the sun back. It just said, for now. Much like everything else, we're very open-ended. Yeah. No answers, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that just about... That's kind of... That's it, right, for that one? I think so. Festival of Death? Yep. I think so, yeah. It feels like there's just so much to say, but then there's, like, what is there to say? It's, like, all just... Wow. Yeah, like, uh, a, you know what I mean? You can't, yeah. you can't really yeah, articulate it. Unlike a lot of their Storyteller albums that came later, much later, this one really, you it's um, kind of just using sound to create and uh, to, to create these little stages. Um, and you listen to them, and you can read along, but... Um, because there's no lyrics, really all there is to do is to describe the sound if you're not actually listening to it. So this is our, um, our I guess, our, our little hat tip to the residents and our hat tip to you saying, hey, go listen to it. Because, go listen to it. Yeah, I think it speaks for you itself. You have to. It's, 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 it's essential residence. It's essential. Not only, but it's All residence like, is essential as, residence. As, oh, yeah. 
Well, buy it, buy it, well, and listen to it in any form. Whether you have to go and like fork over several hundred dollars for a first pressing, or buy the MVD without all the cool stuff. Picture disc, even for God's sake, download it. Buy the buy the preserved edition coming out of it soon. Uh, whatever Cherry said about some vinyl thing. It's like as as good a, of a job as I, I feel we are doing, or at least I hope that we're doing, and I hope everybody agrees with you. <laughs> anyway, as good of a job as I hope we are doing, it's just with this particular album, you cannot, you've got to experience it, people. Headphones in the dark with a blanket. With a blanket. What a better time to experience it than now, because it's being re-released in like four different ways. And it's cold as hell. And it's cold, unless yes. You live, unless you live like in somewhere like Arizona. Lives in Arizona. It's cold for Arizona. Tell me what the temperature. Tell me what the temperature it is right now. It's like fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Holy. Yeah, which which is fifty degrees here. So let's and since we're so eager to talk about the preserved stuff, let's move on to the epilogue, which I think is it's oh funny as much as it's tragic, and I will read it's, it now. You do it. So <clears throat> All the stories on this recording are expressed in the past tense. This is because the Eskimo, particularly the polar Eskimo on which the this album is based, was rescued from its miserable lifestyle by welfare in the late 60s. The polar Eskimo has been relocated entirely into government housing and now spends most of the day watching reruns on TV. So, Damn. you know, we've saved them. We <laughs> Western saved culture them. saved them with the power of Charmin and Coke and all that, we have made them safe from the horrors of the world out there and the terrifying relationship they had with nature where, for some reason, they never wanted to really destroy it. No, instead, we've put them inside. And now... now they get to watch TV. They can watch TV like the rest of us civilized people. And you know what they want? Coke. Coke. Oh, oh, yeah! Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So... Overall, Man, what do we? Yeah, what do we think it's, of this album? Uh, I I see why I see why so many people like it, but I'm not like it's it's really really in depth. It really goes hard on the subject matter, but I'm just I'm just afraid I wouldn't listen to this that much. I don't think I can listen to this one on the regular because it's not a background noise album when experienced fully. I don't, the residents rarely do background music albums, but this one in particular, it's like, it's, if you're not going to listen to it all the way, you know, why listen to it at all? You either skate or you die. Yeah, this one's uh, a tough one to, to listen to. Like, I think I've listened to it maybe like three times in the last two years, if even that. But every time I listen to it, it's so good. And a lot of people describe this as the, one of the residents' masterpieces. I have to agree. Uh, like, uh, from a quality standpoint, yeah, and storytelling standpoint, it's just in terms of, I uh, you know, like, average listening time. Like, I, I don't even see it as one of the highest. But from everything That's because they just make really good stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course it wasn't... Exactly, you know, nice to like, oh yeah, I'm going to play this on the radio, like, oh yeah, I'm going to listen to this and enthusiastically jog. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to slam Eskimo into my car CD player and drive along to it on the freeway. I Yeah, but, you know, what that did, what it did manage to do when it came out, was get nominated for a Grammy. 
So let's talk about that. Um, and I think it was for the 1980 Grammys, right? Um, I believe so, because it because it came yeah, out it came in '79. Yeah, it came out in like late '79, so I think it missed the '79 Grammys, so '80. Yeah. Um. So it didn't. Act, it did get like fully nominated, but it got through the pre-nomination process, and the residents were invited to the Grammys, and they sat next to disco legend Donna Summers. Um, Holy crap. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, and perhaps related, perhaps unrelated, they did put out an album uh, of sorts titled uh, Disco Mo, because disco will never die. Um, yeah. well, until it did. Uh, single, you mean? Yeah, oh, is it a single? Yeah, it was a single, and then they had the EP of Goosebump to go with it. Ah, I see. It was kind of like, um, you know, two two sides of the record, except they weren't related. Yeah, so... Yeah, Disco Will Never Die, uh, and Disco Mo is a weird piece of work. And then there were other ideas for, as for what to do with this album, because they wanted to do an Eskimo opera, uh, which was the whole album told out on uh, told on top of uh, glaciers, giant glaciers, but, yeah, as it often goes, things didn't quite work out. Back Back then, any of their plans for doing anything beyond just an album was basically failure like they they especially the movie thing because they tried that so early in the they didn't even sell anything at that point they they just they just started making it after they sent a, or around the time they sent out a little christmas gift speaking of yeah. movies they did put out an eskimo dvd they yeah they did and it's interesting yeah like i i'm not like i've seen little bits of it i'm like but oh i'm not sure if i know how to feel about this but it's bizarre I will say that it is definitely bizarre, but I mean, it if you're having trouble with just sound and and reading, then I think listening to it while watching the DVD is probably going to do you some good, but it's got some very strange imagery um and it, who's which really was- to say yeah, which was, it was kind of a, a given from the time it was made. I mean, the two thousands, early that's when it came out, right? Early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah, that that was around like that was they were still in their like icky flicks, like really like weird and gross kind of. Yeah, style. experimenting with the DVD format as an art platform of its own. Yeah. So like, it was an interesting little stint, but um. Yeah, they a lot of their visual art around that time was gross. So that being said, Eskimo. Hey, you shut up. It's nice. It was. It's nice, but I like. I really love it. I actually think that's one of their best art times. But I still have to admit, it was pretty kind of yucky looking. That's why. That's why they call it icky flicks. I think. Ah, but, all right. I'll, I'll let you have that one. So I guess. Um, I mean, like what I'm just saying things? is, is like you know, like they'll be holding like some really gross like amalgamation of like some flesh stuff, and it just turns into like, ah, yeah, a face yeah. just like pops out of it, and it's like, what, what is this? Yeah, things got kind of kind of weird there. Okay, so I think we should move on to the afterword. So, we have arrived in the afterword because we really pretty much wrapped up with the album. So, it's time to move on to a little bit of new stuff. So, um... If you're here for Eskimo, you should probably leave now. No, no, you shouldn't leave. You should, uh, you should probably just stay because you love us. And we already. love you. Okay, so recent past in terms of new stuff. We had the City Lights reading, uh, which featured some musical improv, which was their Halloween. Was really, that was on Halloween. Um, the Litquake performance, which allegedly was in October. 
um, which featured excerpts from Brick Eaters also, and as well as, you know, some portions of their In Between Dreams performance, so that was something. I, I'm so happy they included Die, Die, Die. That was, yeah, it was very nice. So, that, was the be- that was the best performance, too, because he actually stepped out in the audience. Oh, creepy. Um, in terms of recent releases, there was Intruders, which I'm actually sure was in October. Uh, it was October also- 19th. Uh, yeah, Intruders, which is all sort of about doppelgangers and intruders in our minds and stuff. It's really it's about wacky stuff. stuff. Think, um, here's a, here's an example. It's like, you know, think of someone that was sticking in your mind long after, like, they went away or something like that. It's yeah. basically that. It's basically that. Songs about that. Songs by those things. You listen to it, you figure it out. And maybe even formulate your own intruders. Maybe the band becomes your intruders. Maybe you're thinking, like, well, these guys can't get out of my head! I think the residents are my intruders. So the Brick Eaters, uh, as I mentioned before, that is a novel they put out on July 10th. And it is extremely good, and I'm not saying that just because it partially takes place in um, my current location, to an extent. It's a good book, you should buy it, and you should read it. Uh, it is very, it's a very strange kind of, strange little tale. So that's in the past. But what's in the future? When everyone lives in the future, the present is au revoir. Uh, upcoming... We have In Between Dreams uh, for a little bit in Europe in January and February of 2019. So if you're over there across that big old body of water we call the Atlantic Ocean, maybe start thinking about that. Rubbing your chin about it, looking out your window about it, buying tickets about it, seeing the residents about it. You know, if you you live in America, maybe... Cry. uh, No, maybe look up some flights to Europe. UK. You couldn't see them in the whales, but now you can see them five times in London. The mm. whales. <clears throat> Sorry, um, whales. Hi, whales. <laughs> so, there's some Cherry Red releases that are happening. They're cooking up many a thing, not only Eskimo, which is supposedly slated for a release maybe in January. At this point, who can... <laughs> Hello, and apologies for the interruption. So here, we were talking about upcoming Cherry Red releases. At the time of recording, the actual pre-order pages for the preserved or preserved releases of Eskimo and the commercial album had not been announced. You know, they weren't there. But now, they are. So, little correction, Eskimo and the commercial album both have preserved releases available for pre-order, and those are going to come out, I believe, on January 25th, 2019. That's all. Thank you. Which is from, from a lot of their uh, from their archive. You know, these are fresh, clean, fresh and clean. Squeaky. Yeah, and they're, they come with little extra. You yeah, they come with little extra CDs full of all sorts of strange music from those tapes and whatnot. And so, not only is Eskimo getting a preserved release, but so is the commercial album. And Ooh. sometime around record, yeah, the commercial album. Sometime around record store day, there's going to be a mail order release. Um, for um, it's it well, it's an album. It's um, okay. There, there's a mixture of things they're actually doing regarding that. Um, they have mentioned they're doing a preserved set of pre-resident stuff, which is something to get excited about for those people who like to hear the just really, really just nasty beginnings, just dirt recordings. Yeah, well, we love you, residents. Ensenada, you took part in those, so I respect you. 
And then there's also a record store day release, which I don't think I want. The record um, store day release. It involves the record store. children. No, 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 oh, no. Oh, no, wait, no, wait, no. wait. You're talking about <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's what's uh, coming up over there. A disclaimer. It has not explicitly been said it was, you know, they just said it's ungoogleable, so I'm very, I'm like 90% sure that's what it is. Yeah, we don't know for sure if it's the one ungoogleable release they've put out, but we're inclined to believe so. But only time will tell, and even then, it ain't saying much. It could just be like something we don't know about, so you can't Google it. But it's probably, it's probably... It could also be one that, yeah, because remember last, last year, it was kind of spoiled because of the fact that you could just Google Warner Brothers album. And then they found, like, the listings for the record store day. Whoopsie doopsie, but this time it won't happen so this much. Time, this time you can't, because if you look it up, you're going to get arrested. Yeah, so that's that. Um, And in terms of less sure things in the future, there's a lot of chatter and mystery surrounding a, a movie that the residents are making, which always spells disaster in the most delightful ways. Cause, but this one actually has, like, a lot of footage. So... As double far as we trouble. know. Yeah, Double Trouble. I, it is. It, it's. It's vileness fats, but what if this time it was Randy's son? And I'm sorry to all you new listeners who don't know who Randy is. He's a foul little man with a phallic nose. We'll get to that. He's a man who got lost a little too much in his rock star lifestyle. Um, we miss you, Randy. Now now he has we no love you, lifestyle. Dude. Whatever happened to Randy Rose? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's. Yeah, that's going on. Uh, we can't really say for sure what's going on there yet, because do the residents even know? And there's talk about some mysterious sorts of releases coming out, something about a release called Dying Dog, maybe in 2019, maybe in 2034. Who can really say for sure? And there's um, puppet shows that might happen. Was it was it Dying Duck or was it Dog Stab? It's Dying Dog. Maybe. Okay, we should... Farewell. We we hope you enjoyed your stay. Uh, at least I hope you enjoyed your stay. I can't speak for these guys. They probably hoped you hated every second of it. I, as your sweetest and most beautiful host. Gossip. That too. Dead people. Dead people. I hope you truly enjoyed every second. We live in a society. <laughs> we do live in a society. I don't know if you've gathered that, but... <laughs> Uh, no, I, 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 I was holding. I was holding.